God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's a great song to get stuck in your head. I hope that happens to you today. You get grace, grace, God's grace stuck in your head. Would you please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Romans and uh, just for full disclosure, we're going to be looking at two verses in the book of Romans, and we're going to jump off from those verses, and we'll be in another passage quite a bit this morning. Hopefully that will be a blessing and encouragement to you. We have a topical message that we're going to be talking about. Um, we'll be looking at verses 12 and 13 of Romans 8, right along line, uh, like we usually do with expository preaching. But what we're going to be looking at today is a topic that I think so many people would do well just to hear a sermon just dedicated to this. So many people um, walk through their, their Christian journey and they seem to never be able to get a handle on victory over sin. And so I'm going to preach a sermon today called, that is called Sin Winning the Battle. I'd like to begin by asking you a question. It's a thought-provoking question, and perhaps this will be one that you'll think about uh, later on when you're in prayer or in God's Word, or maybe even discuss over the dinner table with family and friends. The question is this, how much of what you've done in the past year do you think is going to have an impact on eternity? So we're in the month of August right now. Since last August, how much do you think that you're responsible for things that you've done will have an impact or have had an impact on eternity? I was driven to that question because I was talking recently with a friend of mine, good Christian friend. And as I was talking with him, uh, he mentioned to me something along lines of that question, but he didn't say it in the form of a question. He was lamenting what was going on. He actually said, well, Jeremy, you know, I'm honestly just concerned that 99.9% .9 of what I'm busy with is going to get burned up on Judgment Day. And I could sense the brokenheartedness in the tone of his voice. Of course, we understand that sons of God and daughters of God will not stand before God and be judged because of their sins. Our sins have been forgiven. The wrath was poured out. The wrath of God was poured out as a punishment for sins at the cross on Jesus Christ. And so we will never stand before God being judged for our sins. But instead, the judgment seat of Christ, which is sometimes called the Bema seat, this is where believers will stand before God and will be judged according to the good works that we have done. Maybe you haven't thought about that recently, but you're going to stand before God this short life that you have here and you're going to stand before God and you will receive reward. You will possibly hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't think that my friend is in as bad a way as he was letting on 
almost everything that he has done is going to be burned up. You know, wood, hay, and stubble was the picture in his mind, and it wouldn't be anything that would last. I don't think that his day at the judgment seat of Christ will count for nothing, but I'm glad for that conversation because it caused me to take a look within, to ask that question. You see, you and I are stewards here in this world. Once God has saved you, once you've been born again, realize that you were a sinner, The reason Jesus died on the cross so long ago was for your sins. And you could have forgiveness of your sins if you will only ask him to forgive you and save you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have been saved, from that point forward, you are a steward of what God has given you. And as that grim picture comes, came to his mind, that he, he thought that just about everything he was doing would be burned up on judgment day. I can't help but ask that question of myself. How am I doing? How are we, as followers of God, doing with this? Do you think that we will find very little reward just looking at the past 12 months? Well, what we'll see in God's Word today is that the Holy Spirit, and of course the Holy Spirit is the hero of Romans chapter 8, The Holy Spirit empowers you and I as God's children to have victory over sin. That is the wonderful job that the Holy Spirit does. And as we are going through life, if we are giving our time and efforts to a continued sin, walking in that sin, obviously we are not doing anything that is going to last for eternity at that same time. And so we're going to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now it's quite possible that some of you are um, in a very close place with God right now. I heard from someone recently and they said, I've had more time in God's word. I've had more time in prayer and it's been a wonderful blessing. It's also very possible that some of you might be in a vulnerable place right now. That with the events that's going on in our present world that are confusing and difficult, perhaps there's discouragement that has been coming. I want to let you know that we can be confident that whether we're going through a challenging time or a mountaintop time, That someone is watching you. We're all familiar that our God who loves us is watching us. But I want to point out just for a moment that someone else is watching. You see, we have an enemy. And that enemy is looking at us and he's trying to find the vulnerable places. He would love if we would look back at the past 12 months and have nothing good to report. Nothing that will last for all eternity. And so our enemy, the devil and his demons, he knows for sure when you have victory and when you have failure and he is taking note. He is watching you. When we think of someone in the Bible that uh, was able to answer the question, well, how have you done in the past 12 months? One Bible character that comes quickly to my mind is the character Job. We have to go back a long ways to find Job and his life, but it's a very familiar story to most of us. I love an aspect in the beginning of the book of Job when it was uh, God having a conversation with Satan. And do you remember a little bit of how that conversation went? Perhaps you do. God asked a question of, uh, from the devil. He went to the Satan and he said, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yes, I have considered him. Let me talk about that word considered just for a moment. It will help us with our uh, challenge for today. 
That word considered that God used when he asked the question, have you considered my servant Job? That is a term that is commonly used as a military term. It would be used as someone who was spying out a city, a walled city from those days, to find out the vulnerable places in that city. When do the gates open up to the city? How long are they open? Are they guarded when they are open? Where are the places in the wall where we might be able to break through or that are not guarded as much as others? That word considered would be a military leader looking at a city and considering it, seeing where it is vulnerable. One of the awesome parts to that story about Job and the conversation between God and Satan is God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yes, I have. And it didn't scare Satan. Even though Job was an upright man, he had incredible character. Satan still said, I'm going to take on the task of trying to knock him down. Remember that conversation? He only lives for you, God, because you have blessed him. It's a familiar story to us, but I want to challenge us with this today, that you and I are being considered by the devil and his demons. You can be certain that he's been studying you. You can be certain that even though he knows, don't miss this, even though the devil knows exactly what we're going to see in God's word today, he still doesn't stop going after us. You see, what the devil knows and what too many children of God do not know is that we have available to us a guaranteed victory over sin. The devil has this access to the Bible. I think he's got the whole thing memorized. He's been around long enough to get it memorized, right? He quoted it to Jesus Christ. And the devil knows what we're going to see in Romans chapter 8 today. And that is, we do not have to give in to sin. We can have victory over it. Look at verses number 12 and 13 of Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, But if you will live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We have been looking at Romans chapter 8, and last week we emphasized that we're not being being told something that we should do. Instead, we are being told something that we are. Don't you know who you are? was the question that we asked. Now, in these verses, we find something that we are to do. Did you see it there in verse 13? But, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Sometimes we call this mortification. Mortifying sin. Mortifying the flesh. This is what we are called to do. We're going to find that the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans Peter talks about this in his epistles. John talks about this in his epistles. And what we're going to do is give you five very simple things that you can do in your practice in life. If you're a follower of God, we're going to give you five things that you can do in order to have victory over sin. Now, I want to give a challenge um, to you. I want to ask you, if if you've been born again, if you're a believer and you struggle with a sin, an ongoing sin that just seems to have a grip on you. 
I want to challenge you to remove some words from your vocabulary. I want you to never say, based on our study in God's Word today, I want you, if you're a believer, to never say, I just can't stop doing this sin. I am unable to beat this sin. You see, people that say that who are Christians, what they don't understand is they are making a theological statement. They're making a statement about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is actually a false statement. The man of God, the woman of God who has the Holy Spirit residing, which is everyone who is a believer, that continues to sin, has to learn this truth of what we're talking about today. We have to learn how to put to death or mortify sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, would you do me a personal favor? Would you just make a mental note or even write it down right now? Never say, I can't stop sinning. Never say that. Because what the devil already knows is that God has given you an avenue to have victory over sin, even in this present world. Can I ask you to turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles? We're going to be looking at several verses in 2 Peter 1. While you're turning there, let me read for you what the Apostle John said in 1 John 5, 18 and 19. He said, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's a contrast there that John gives. We are of God. Those that are not of God, they lie in the power of the evil one. We must mortify our flesh. How do we do this? Well, first of all, if you're taking notes, and there's a place in the back of your bulletin to write these down, and I would encourage you to write these down. How can we exercise practices to mortify the flesh? Number one, we must understand our position spiritually. You need to understand the place where you are spiritually. As we've been going through the book of Romans, Paul has been very, very clear. We once were this, Now we are this. You're different. And Peter beautifully removes any place for men and women to say, I just can't stop sinning. He takes all that away from the follower of Jesus Christ. Look with me um, at verses, starting in verse 2 of 2 Peter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Look at verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That is describing the follower of Jesus Christ. You have escaped that corruption. And yet, so many people want to hold on to that excuse. I just can't stop this sin. So many complain or they mumble. 
They will find others to blame. They'll, they'll uh, you know, share that blame like Adam did in the garden, like Eve did in the garden. And we need to take a look at ourselves and understand that this is going to be on us. We have an opportunity to choose and to choose to do right. And then Peter tells us who we are and then he ties to it some things that we are supposed to do. Look at it starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find here that Peter ties to our position some things that we are supposed to do. Father of God, you are to be making effort towards Christ-likeness, not complaining. This is why it's so important for us to stay positive, to understand that we have won the victory, yes, in the future, but God has given us everything that we need to not continue in sin. In fact, Peter goes on to give a a picture here, a word picture of what that person who is a Christian and yet chooses to hold on to that sin, what that person is. Look at verse number 9 for that word picture. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. It gives a statement of fact. He was cleansed from his former sins. But the one who continues in sin has forgotten. As we look at that, what a great challenge for us to not forget we look at this and we understand that God is going to do something so wonderful. The first thing that we must do in our life to mortify the flesh is understand our position spiritually. Number two, in order to get victory over sin, is we need to keep the ultimate goal in sight. You need to be daily keeping the ultimate goal in sight. Peter references this in verse number 11 of Second Peter 1. Look at verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this way, provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. This is a beautiful picture of what we should be looking towards. You see, at the heart of every individual who has an ongoing sin that he has not gotten victory over, At the heart of every one of those sins is the idea that this world holds something that is better than the next world. And if I were to ask you that question, do you think you can find anything in this present world better than heaven? You would quickly say, well, no. And yet our actions, when we choose to continue in sin, that is reflecting that we're going to try to find something in this present world that's going to bring us some happiness some satisfaction. And what we need to do is keep our eyes on heaven, on the ultimate goal. 
Uh, years ago, our family went to Chicago for a visit, a little short family vacation, and they usually revolve around some good food while we go to Chicago. But oftentimes, we would go to a typical store when we would go to Chicago, and it was the American Girl store, which has all these dolls. And one year, as we went to uh, go to Chicago and got to the hotel, and we're going to have a great time, I can remember a memory that's so vivid in my mind. And I shared this memory with, with my daughter, Emma, not too long ago. I said, you, you know what one of my favorite memories of all of our trips to Chicago is? It's when we went and you had that bitty baby. Remember that little doll you had, that little bitty baby? And you were holding that doll, looking out the window. And that's just a great memory for me. And very quickly, Emma went and said, well, Dad, you know why that's a great memory for you, don't you? And I said, well, why? She said, because there's a photograph of that. There's a photo of me standing with my back to the camera and I'm holding my doll, looking out the window in a, in a pretty little dress. And I said, oh, well, that makes good sense. What we need to be doing is having snapshots, pictures, if you will, of a place, brothers and sisters, that we've never been before. If I can borrow the line from the song about heaven, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. This is what we must do daily. We must be thinking about eternity. And there's all kinds of things we can focus on. You might focus on a reunion with loved ones that have passed on. What a great thing to think about. You might think about some of the descriptions of heaven in the Bible and how much you're looking forward to those, how great those will be. Perhaps you're one that is looking forward to that new body. These bodies are wearing away, right? And all God's people said, amen. Okay, all God's people over 35 said, amen. These bodies are wearing away. Maybe you're looking forward to that new body. Maybe you're looking forward most of all to seeing your Savior face to face. I'll be officiating a funeral tomorrow. Wonderful Christian woman that passed on. Oftentimes, in a funeral of someone as a believer, something that I work right into there is the last time when this sister in Christ closed her eyes, the next time she opened her eyes as she saw her Savior face to face. Are you looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face? We need to, in order to get victory over these ongoing sins in our life, be thinking daily about heaven. That can be through song. That can be through prayer. Um, There are a number of ways that we can do this, but part of the ways that we can mortify the flesh is by keeping the ultimate goal in mind. Next, we can exercise, an exercise to help us mortify the flesh, number three, is to abstain from sin. And I know that seems obvious. Seems like I didn't put a whole lot of study into that one, right? Abstain from sin, really. That's genius. You should write that down, Jeremy. Abstain from sin. And yet, so many of us know this truth, and yet we do not practice it. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Abstain from these. For the one who is weak, for the one who, or who says I'm weak and says I just cannot get victory over this, here's some deep, counsel from all of my years of experience and study. Cut it out. When you're struggling with that temptation, you've been down that road before, you kind of know where you're going, stop it. 
Don't you wish you had an angel that could just smack you on the back of the head when you're about to do that? I wish that was the case. I wish when I'm about to step into sin, I got smacked on the back of the head. I'm not giving anybody in my family permission to do that. All right? Don't think about it. But don't you wish that's the way it worked. We need to hear though, cut it out, abstain from sin. Those things that you're going into, brother and sister, you were created for greater things than that. You were created for things that will last all eternity. You will stand before God and He will look at you and how you spent your time and He will judge you and we'll get rewards. And I love that beautiful picture of us casting the rewards back at Jesus' feet. Hopefully you have that in your mind. Don't spend your time in sin. There's a great picture in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2, where God gives this comparison. You see, with God's people, He had given them a perfect, beautiful, working cistern for them to drink out of, to get everything that they needed. And yet, in Jeremiah chapter 2, we find that God's people had left that perfect cistern and had gone to something different. They had gone to another cistern to drink from. And, and the cistern wasn't even a good cistern. It was, it was broken. It couldn't even hold water. It didn't give any satisfaction at all. And yet God's people chose to leave His beautiful place and go and try to find something over there. And it's so sad. Because in Jeremiah 2, it's almost like God is asking a question. What have I done that caused you to go over there? What is there in my plan that I have given for you that would cause you to go and seek satisfaction in another place? That's the picture. And I think that all of us understand that what God has for us is better. When you are struggling with sin, you're tempted, you're going down that road that you've been down before, I just want you to remember one thing when you're going down that road. We learn it from Jeremiah chapter 2. When you're going down that road towards sin, the one thing you need to remember is Jesus is better. Jesus Christ is better than anything else that you will find anywhere else. So don't allow yourself to be knocked out of contention for doing things that will last for eternity because you're staying busy with things that will not satisfy Number four, how can I exercise this idea of uh, putting my flesh to death? The next one is have no fellowship with sin. Have no fellowship with sin. This is different. It's different than just abstaining from sin. When we have no fellowship with sin, that is a specific mindset that we need to have. Listen to verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul writes, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, That's abstain from it, right? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Now, Paul, aren't you getting pretty close to legalism there? I can't even talk about those things? Is that what you're saying? Well, my point for us as we battle sin is to have no fellowship with sin. The ruling principle that we see here, I think, is found in Psalm 37, verse number 4, where it talks about our desire. What is your desire? 
Even if you don't, even if you don't recognize the reference, most of us are familiar with Psalm 37.4, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It is not my understanding of that verse that that means God's going to give me whatever I want, whatever I ask for. My understanding of that verse is that God will place within me, His Son, the right kind of desires. And if you want to get victory over sin, you need to have no fellowship with sin. And that means you're going to need to be desiring what God desires. And listen, listen, hating what God hates. Too many people want to get close to that sin. I'm not doing it. I've not stepped over the line. And they want to get close to that. Have fellowship with it. (laughs) Even talks about some old stories from the old days with the guys and laugh about that lifestyle that I used to have. You know what that is? That is a desire within you that wants that. It is saying that you think that is offering something better than God has to offer. And it is a slippery slope for us to have fellowship with it. Ask God to place the right kind of desires within you. Ask God to help you to love what He loves. Ask God to help you to hate, with a capital H, what God hates. So have no fellowship with sin. And then the last one we're going to look at, how can we mortify the flesh? Make no provision for the flesh. So abstain from it, have no fellowship with it. And now I'm saying make no provision for the flesh. And the ruling principle here is do not take lightly anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not take it lightly. Listen to Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. When I think of this idea of making no provision for the flesh, my mind goes right to Psalm number 1. When I think of Psalm 1, verse 1, there is a beautiful picture of a progression that we are warned to stay away from. Let me read Psalm 1, 1 for you. See if you can see the the, the progression here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Did you see it? Did you see the progression there? This idea of making no provision for the flesh is so important to us. And in that psalm, we find that an individual starts out, first of all, walking. Walking by the sin. What's that over there? They'll walk and they'll slow down and they'll wonder what that is. Make no provision for it. And then they advance. Instead of walking by it, then they're kind of standing near it. Standing close by it. Haven't stepped over that line yet. And yet, they're standing near it. And then pretty soon, they are sitting in the seat of scoffers. You should not be shocked if you are spending time in one of these areas on purpose on a regular basis when you fall into that repeated sin. God is watching, but also remember, the devil and his demons, they are watching you. They are watching, and they are looking for weaknesses. 
They are looking for where they might attack. They are looking for um, the areas where you will be most vulnerable. Satan is considering you. And so my challenge for us as Satan is considering us is for us to consider ourselves. If I can go back to that opening illustration about the walled city and the, the military leader looking for the vulnerable places. Do you think that the leaders of that city knew where their vulnerable places are? I imagine they did. I imagine they knew we have to be on track with opening the gates and closing the gates. This people on watch. Don't let that guy be on watch. He's terrible at staying awake all night. They would know where they were vulnerable. And brothers and sisters, we must know ourselves. You must know where you are vulnerable. And that's going to help us to win the battle with sin. A couple things that we can do with this. Number one, deal with the first inkling of temptation within you. Do not toy with this. Do not hang around it. Do not pass by it. Do not stand near it. Take care of it right away. Talk to God. I'll let you know this is where I live. I live in a place where I battle temptation. The devil has put a target on my back and he would love nothing more than to knock me down. And so as I struggle with temptation, I have a few things that I have done. I keep notes. I've got a notes section. I printed one off this morning as I went and looked at it. And this is um, titled Sanctification. I typed this out a few years ago. I anticipate my morning time with God more than any other aspect of my life. Spirit-filled living is going to mean that every part of my day will be just as good as those morning times with God. I would suspect that if the demons are watching me and not trying to knock me down, that I'm probably not going to have very much success or even aim for when I'm reading my Bible, when I'm singing to God, when I'm praying. They're going to go for those times when I'm tired, those times where I'm frustrated. And if he can read my notes, he might try to tempt me in the afternoon. That's where I'm vulnerable. You need to know yourself. Another note that I keep in my office It says, principle of substitution. Put off and put on. So here's something that you can do very practically. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's something that you can do very practically with a temptation, with a sin that you struggle with. Say out loud, and don't you can't you can't fudge on that one. Say out loud, Father, I reject that sinful thought, and I am thankful for, and then you fill in the blank. So whatever area it is. So if it's in the area of anger, Father, I reject that sinful thought and I am thankful for the gentleness you provide. If it's in the the area of lying, Father, I reject that sinful thought and I thank you that Jesus Christ is truth and that I can be truthful. If it's in the area of something you're putting before your eyes, Father, I reject that, that sinful thought and I thank you for the purity you make available to me. We all have this battle. But listen, brothers and sisters, We all have the opportunity for victory. That's how God has made it. He has made it so you can win the battle over sin. And then number two, the second thing that we can do is just be positive. Be positive. You need to get positive. You need to stay positive. And the reason is this. We have an enemy who is strong, who never rests, and who wants to see you standing at the judgment seat of Christ if you're a follower of God someday and have very little 
reward. That is the enemy that we face. And brothers and sisters, we can stay positive today because even though our enemy in this world is great, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we praise you for being one that knows our struggles. Even as Jesus Christ went into the garden and prayed, you knew that prayer was coming. You knew what he was going to be going through. We thank you that you know every detail about us. And we would ask, Heavenly Father, that you would allow us to consider ourselves an enemy that would want to knock us down. And would you allow us to know our strengths, to know our weaknesses, to take care of those weaknesses in the best way possible. We thank you for your mercy. We praise you for your forgiveness. We praise you that for those who have been born again, they will never answer for any of their sins. But Heavenly Father, would you allow us to aim for something higher than that? Would you allow us to use our time in this world, maybe over the next 12 months, to have all kinds of fruit, all kinds of great works that we are doing because we love you. We thank you that you will help with this. And we thank you that you allow us to be working for you. And we can do that by putting away and mortifying the sin that overtakes us too often. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to ask you to pray. As the piano plays through a song, I want to give you a couple different topics you can pray for. First of all, maybe there's just that one sin that seems like it's got a grip on you. You have a choice. You can choose what God has given. Victory through the Holy Spirit. It's going to mean you're going to have to make some effort, do some work, practice some of these exercises. But we understand that we can't have victory. So pray about that sin. It won't take you long to find it in your mind, what you struggle with. And then you might be here today and we've used some words like born again and follower of Christ. The gospel, very quickly, is that you are a sinner. And because of that sin, is a punishment. That punishment is separation from God in a place called hell. And Jesus Christ died on the cross and took the wrath and punishment for your sin so that you could be saved. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so even in the quietness of this moment, you can pray and thank God for what Jesus did and ask him to save you from your sins and he'll make you his daughter or his son. Take just a moment to pray this morning.